Hi, my name is Margie Krakowski with Wright Harama Architects, new chair of programs along with Tony Smaniato with Studley and Megan Marshall with Jones Lang LaSalle. Uh, first, I'd like to thank the outgoing chairs, Dan Ulbricht uh, with Leopardo and Jeanette Outlaw with Office Brands uh, for their guidance and leadership to get us here. Uh, Tony, Megan, and I are very excited and have been diligently planning uh, several of the upcoming programs. October, we have um, assessing risks, threats, vulnerabilities in your real estate portfolios. And November, a technology petting zoo uh, where we will be bringing in tablets and devices to demonstrate new real estate tools to make you more effective. Uh, December, reminder, there is no lunch, but we will be back in January for the annual economic forecast. Uh, today's program is being podcast and we have compiled an extensive library of past programs on the Cornette website from the past few years. So if you can't make a lunch, they are always on the website. Uh, so today's program, speakers, please um, go on the stage. <laughs> uh, Tales from the Trenches, we're focusing on growth companies during the recession. Our moderator today, Bob Hess, is Executive Managing Director with Newmart Knight Frank, Global Corporate Services. Bob Hess leads the operations consulting practice at Newmark Knight Frank. With over 24 years of professional services experience, he is highly regarded as an expert in the field of supply chain strategies, global location strategies, corporate site selection, and economic development. He has successfully completed over 200 significant projects for Fortune 1000 and middle market companies across all asset types, including several large capital investment deployments assignments in Asia, the Americas, and EMEA. Uh, Pat Crumley, Director of Real Estate for Miller Coors. Pat is responsible for the portfolio strategy and management of a 20 million square foot portfolio comprised of eight major breweries, three craft breweries, and various support facilities, including corporate offices, sales offices, and grain facilities. Prior to joining Miller Coors, Pat was a senior vice president with Jones Lang LaSalle, responsible for growing client relationships and enhancing service delivery for corporate solutions clients. Pat is also an instructor with Cornet Global for their strategic outsourcing, creating the right delivery model seminar, and has been an adjunct professor with Northwestern's University MPM program, where she taught corporate real estate project management. Lori Templeman, Director of Corporate Facilities for Intelligrated. Lori has over 25 years of design, project management, and corporate facility management. And thank you for coming in from Ohio, by the way. Uh, she is an original founder of Intelligrated and has been in the uh, manufacturing industry for 13 years, overseeing all aspects of leasing, acquisitions, construction, and renovation of Intelligrated's portfolio. Prior to joining Intelligrated, Lori served as AVP for StarBank, headquartered in Cincinnati, Ohio, leading the facilities and design group. Take it away, Bob. Thank you. Can everybody hear me? Great, first thing, first check. Uh, good afternoon. And thank you for coming. Uh, today's theme is about growth. Isn't that great? <laughs> By the way, let's ask a, a question to kind of warm things up. Who's involved in, I'll call it, growth-related type mode right now? Can you raise your hands? If, 
I, I can't define growth, but how about who's involved with growth right now? A little higher? Hey, that's about 50%, and I won't ask the other 50% what you're doing, okay? <laughs> but no, that, that's great. I mean, we, we heard from the audience that uh, we wanted to talk about initiatives, growth, industries, niches. Uh, we wanted to, uh, you know, really make sure the topic was not about resetting reality or the new normal or, you know, basically the hockey stick recovery. Let's talk about uh, what's going on post-recession and uh, talking about market opportunities. Yes, it's not all rosy, right? Uh, somewhat frustration, but there is growth, there are opportunities, there are projects, there are initiatives that allow us all to collaborate and create economic value and be noticed in the uh, C-suite of the organization. In fact, these are, this is a great time for all of you to be very strategically oriented. J dump, uh, just jive, jive and dive and get involved in complex problems that you're all dealing with in your organizations. And that's what we're, we're trying to do, all of us. And we're going to hear about some complex problems that each of these people dealt with in their organizations in our presentation today. But I'm going to kind of set the stage in a presentation. I'm going to go over the uh, little state of the economy, what's going on right now, preparing for a President Obama's speech tonight. I won't be political, I promise. Growth sectors and industries maybe some current climate issues, and then where, where is CRE going? That's, that's basically uh, what we'll do. Um, macroeconomic conditions can have a significant impact on general real estate, absolutely. And, but it also creates opportunity. It's about adapting and innovating. And supply and demand is going to hold true, right, in an economy like this with a twist. It's static supply of space, but does that mean nothing's happening? No, that means there's new innovations, new ways we look at space and workplace. Um, reduced space requirements as a whole, okay, that's downsizing or rationalizing, but that creates project. It creates growth opportunities also, and how you allocate space to workers and the talent issue. The demand side of the equation, seems like CRE is always on the supply side, right? What about the demand side? What happened to demand? Uh, really looking at where that demand is, where it's coming from, finding niches, finding opportunities, then, of course, this last bullet point about employment and industry shifts, talent and people. The war for talent is back on. You think, is a war for talent back on at 10% unemployment? Absolutely. It's about finding talent. People will innovate, make things happen, and create economic value. Uh, that's really important in today's economy. This is the state of the economy as, as we see it right now. You don't have to look to 2007, 2008, 2009, but there is growth. 1% in gross domestic product, 3.5% on GDP, uh, and of course the United States still plays a huge role in the economy. Um, but again, uh, look at these sectors, these other countries, there's other, other perspectives, other markets. Market access is huge right now, whether market access is in the suburbs of Chicago, or whether market access is in emerging markets around the globe. And so there's a lot of activity uh, on the global stage, and certainly that one to three, three and a half percent, we all want it to be better, but that's better than zero. And 50% of you raised your hand saying that there is growth and there is initiatives and there are projects in play. Uh, corporate profits. The big aha about this slide is issue of cash. There's a lot of cash in the sidelines, right? Profitability is up and corporations have a lot of cash, more so than ever if you listen to The Economist. So what are they going to do with that cash? It's like molasses. When are they going to deploy that cash? We're ready. And it's really basically looking at what we, can we do to create confidence and certainty? Uh, what can we do relative to what we can control, what we can't control, 
and how to make our rationalizations, our consolidations, our headquarters relocations that we're going to hear about, looking at our portfolios, how we make them more efficient and effective, how to make those projects go well, do them well, make them profitable. And maybe that's as part of making this 1% to 3.5% more of a reality. Uh, so I'm an optimist. I'm a part-time pastor in my church, okay? I'm always out there saying positive things. Um, I think there's, we're very busy, and you'll hear our clients today about they're very busy with projects also. So who's growing? Uh, survival. It's all in the way you look at the situation, right? Uh, new opportunities, or is it just, just getting by? These are some of the industries that we see growing. Energy, of course. You hear a lot about energy, mining, alternative resources, alternative energy. Healthcare and biotech. Our company has four healthcare projects in-house right now. Uh, it's a very fast-growing sector. The backbone, the technology side, the information processing side of healthcare, uh, certainly the biotech, the human genome project, uh, is feeding a lot of projects. Transportation, uh, infrastructure is a big issue in the United States, here locally and regionally. And then technology, the whole e-commerce, the cloud, gadgets, Apple, you read all, all the way down to Motorola, of course you read about that in Google. It's a very active sector. So it's not all bad, right? And there's jobs being created in all those sectors. Um, that wouldn't have been the statement necessarily uh, at this meeting a year or two years ago. So we're, we're, we're positive about what's going on in the, seeing in the economy. It's also, too, about uh, you know, looking at disruption. So how do you look at problems within your organization? Uh, consolidations, moves, uh, disruption in the organization, changing the way you used to do things, how you collaborate. And then how do you engage with customers? It's a great time to engage with customers and talk to them about their needs. And then that forces changes in your real estate portfolio. Does that create growth? Depends on how you define growth. Um, and it causes rethinking of business strategy. Um, so inefficiency uh, is one way to look at opportunity, right? One man's gold is another man's garbage and vice versa. Uh, and change, change is out there. Change creates this opportunity. And that's what we're seeing, and I think that's what Cornette's seeing. That's what we've seen at the 2020 uh, planning sessions in Atlanta. Uh, I've been involved in a lot of the executive leadership sessions, and we think this is a great time for CRE to jump into that change and make an impact. Uh, another way to look at this, too, if you look at retail, healthcare, technology, transportation, look on the right side of this chart. Uh, what is the basis for growth here? On the retail side, e-commerce uh, is an area. Uh, healthcare, obviously the demographics and baby boomers. Uh, technology, of course the appetite is huge. What's the real estate impact? There's new distribution centers, location strategies, virtual office. Uh, we have a number of technology companies in-house right now where it's all about the creative types and talents and they're changing their whole workplace standards around that talent base. It's creating a lot of project work across their portfolio. And there's certainly outside influences uh, that get impacted, that create growth. So that's one way to look at these industries, the basis, how it's going to impact your real estate, and one way to approach it when you do your marketing, your targeting, internally your organizations, are you asking these questions about how to approach these problems, these complex problems, these issues in CRE? Who's doing more than surviving? Here's a list of companies. We'll get you a copy of this presentation, but obviously you got uh, the Googles and Morgan Stanleys and Microsofts, but and the Dells and the energy industry. I mean, this is the typical list of companies that we, we see growing. But there's also other sectors that I think are unusual. Um, I mentioned healthcare. These are two clients that we have, Trizetto and Electa. Nobody's ever heard of them. There's a lot of new names of companies out there that are developing new technologies. 
uh, Huawei, one of the fastest growing telecommunications firm from China entering into the US, foreign direct investment. I talked to the World Business Chicago folks before I came here today. They've got three Chinese uh, projects that are looking at Chicago. Two have been implemented. One's an alternative energy company. That's growth. Um, and you know, it's another way of looking at that. And then even uh, advanced manufacturing. We've got foreign direct investment. Uh, these are a couple of companies that we've worked for. This is a Tunisian firm, Landor, who cannot function in the Middle East anymore because of business disruption. They're going like, I want to bring my business to the US, a stable country. And then, of course, large chemical companies. So there, are, there is growth out there, foreign direct investment, new technologies, footprint optimization, uh, some of the things you'll hear from uh, Pat and Lori today about what they're doing with their portfolio. And there's two more case studies for the Chicago area. We were going to have uh, the CEO from AJR Filtration here today, but he's so busy, he couldn't get away. This is a company, an immigrant, who came here from Bulgaria you know, 20 or 25 years ago. This company is exploding in West Chicago. It's an amazing story. And they're in the healthcare uh, industry field, industrial filters, a uh, fast-growing company, adding tons of real estate, adding people. And not necessarily at the high end of the employment level. They're employing a lot of lower-skilled and semi-skilled labor here in the US. And they're not going to China. And they're not going to Mexico. Another one, a company called Sapient. It's one of Forbes' fastest-growing 100 companies. This is a company that's adding 25,000 square feet recently in Chicago. They're adding space all over Canada, Europe, and the United States. They're, adding, they're doing projects right here in Chicago. I don't know if I could have talked about these types of case studies 18 months ago, but there are some great positive stories out there about what people are doing, why they're doing it. And, and again, this is about workplace, and real estate is right in the middle of this growth initiative. One more uh, key thing about growth, where the action is, what about <coughs> private equity firms? Huge amount of activity here. Do you know that almost a third of US companies are controlled or influenced by private equity firms? Blackstone, uh, Apollo. I mean, these folks have tremendous amount of power. And they're all on the move right now. What do I do with these portfolios? I'm looking for growth. I'm looking for demand and managing those things. So lastly, market opportunities. Um, are you all like positive now? Am I positive enough in the presentation? I just want to make sure, OK? Um, I, I think it's just about how you look at things these days. It's your filter where you spend your time looking for where you can add value, looking for complex situations, whether it's in project management, workplace, in strategy. It's about performance, looking at revenue, looking at innovation is huge right now. What are you doing to innovate yourself, add new skills, put new processes and technologies in place? What are you doing for yourself personally in terms of skills, presentation capabilities? It's a great time to bring those skills to the table and work all these issues, uh, which are really important to uh, the portfolio and corporate real estate and the business units themselves. Uh, so I think that's pretty much it. Um, I think we're going to move on to our next speakers, but hopefully that sets the stage the right way. And uh, we'll uh, talk to my friend Pat Crumley next, who's going to talk a little bit about a pretty special project they went through at uh, Miller Coors. Pat? Thank you. Hello, everyone. How many people in the room like beer? <laughs> I have the best job in the industry. Um, as the director of um, real estate for Miller Coors, every day is fun and challenging, and we're learning new things all the time. As I get started, I would like to point out two people in the audience. Julie Beiser 
Sitting right here at the front table is my uh, facility manager and corporate services manager at our headquarters in Chicago, which I'm going to be talking about. And uh, Brian Vautour leads the team from procurement that is our partner in all of the work that we do across the country. So um, how many of you have actually heard of Miller Coors and know what it is? Ah, interesting. A few of you. <laughs> We are a brand new baby. We were born July 1st, 2008, of two very, very old, very well-known companies. Uh, the Miller Brewing Company, which was founded in 1855 in Milwaukee, uh, and then the Coors Brewing Company, which was founded in Golden, Colorado in 1873. So we've got a very, very young organization coming together with 250 years of experience. And uh, one of the things people have asked me to talk about, which I'll share with you in a few minutes, is the question of culture and how we've been able to bring those companies together and develop a culture that has enabled us to be successful going forward. Uh, we've had some great challenges during those 250 accumulated years. Uh, prohibition was something that we faced as an industry. Uh, part of our solution to that was we made malted milk when we couldn't make beer. And that's how Coors survived. Uh, Coors is also known because it was uh, Bill Coors who convinced the beer industry to bring the aluminum can in and start recycling many, many years ago. So green and sustainability is a very core foundation of our value system with our organization. Our culture is based on six critical success factors. And one of the things that's been very interesting to me, having worked with a lot of companies over the years in a lot of different roles, is to see how we've used these six success factors and six values to drive everything we do. Our performance, our individual performance, is based on this. Our organizational performance is based on this. And so together, we believe that these are the six things that allow us to become America's best beer company. And we talk about this all the time. We have, in our business, um, typically most of us are used to looking at businesses from a financial perspective quarterly. But in the beer business, we talk about trimesters because it's based on where, when beer volume is. So we have the first trimester is basically January to early May. Second trimester is May through Labor Day. And the third trimester is Labor Day through the end of the year. And the way that we handle marketing and sales and volumes and manufacturing and everything else is based on that. And every trimester, we identify people around the company that exhibit these behaviors and we acknowledge them on a national level and we reward them and we constantly drive towards seeing behaviors and values that are consistent with what we're trying to drive in terms of a culture. For those of you who may not know, we sell a lot of different kinds of beers. We have over 20 brands. Most people are familiar with you know, High Life and Coors Light and maybe Coors Banquet, but you may not be aware that um, the whole Blue Moon group belongs to us. It came out of the Legacy Coors family. The Leinenkugel beers are ours. They came out of the Miller side. Peroni is our Italian import. Pilsner Urquell. We have a lot of different beers. And one of the things that's a lot of fun is getting to try all of them. Um, going back to the culture, I was telling folks at, at the table at lunch, when we have a management meeting or any type of meeting that is running towards the end of the day, about 3.30, we have what we call beer tails. And at beer tails, about 3.30, they bring in uh, uh, buckets with ice and beer, and we try different beers while we finish up and round up our closing items on the, uh, of the meeting. I bet none of you guys get to do that. 
Uh, we are a big beer company. We generate $7.6 billion in sales, and we represent 30% of the marketplace. So we've got a substantial impact here. Now, one of the things that may be a little confusing is that our joint venture is solely based on the US and Puerto Rico. So Molson Coors and SAB Miller, who are our parents, are huge competitors outside of the JV territory within the US. So a lot of people get confused and want to know what we do internationally, et cetera. That's up in our parent level. It's not um, at our partnership level. Our portfolio. This is what our portfolio looks like across the country. We have, um, I'm going to jump back here and run through the list, and then we'll come back and talk about them for a second. We have eight major breweries, including Golden, which is the largest brewery in the world with a capacity of 22 million barrels a year. And then, of course, we've got Milwaukee. We also have um, Irwindale, California, Eden, North Carolina, Albany, Georgia, Shenandoah, which is in Elkton, Virginia, Trenton, Ohio, and Fort Worth, Texas. And then we have uh, our 10th and Blake breweries, which include the Blue Moon Brewery, the Line and Kugel Brewery up in Chippewa Falls, and 10th and Blake, which is a little brewery in Milwaukee. And then um, we make our own cans. Not all of our own cans, but we do have the Rocky Mountain Metal Company in Golden, where we make cans. And we have the Rocky Mountain Bottle Company in Golden, where we make bottles. And I'm talking about billions of cans and bottles. Um, we've got our headquarters. I'm going to show you some pictures of some of our office spaces. We have close to 1,000 salespeople out across the country, but we have only five regional sales offices. Most everybody works from home. And then we have a couple of specialty offices related to Kroger, who's a big customer of ours, and Walmart, who's a big customer of ours. And then we have the assets that I have the most fun with. Um, I grew up not on a farm, but around farmers. My family is our farmers. And so we have our own hops plant. So we manufacture you know, all of the input into our hops. We have a Burley uh, Idaho research facility. We have seed elevators. And we have the farm, which is a little 1.6 million acre farm in southern Colorado, um, which I keep telling them we ought to at least call the ranch and um, a variety of other things. So if you look at how we're distributed across the country, we really have a nice distribution. Um, the, the stars are where we have our regional sales offices. The circles are our breweries. And then our miscellaneous assets. Most of our grain assets are in this part of the country because we use um, high, uh, high dry barley that grows up in high elevation dry country. And that's where most of our barley comes from. This is our Golden Brewery. I mean, I've already chatted with a few people who've done the tour. If you have an opportunity, it's a great tour to do. This is the Milwaukee Brewery. Um, these are, this is Rio Grande County. These are our grain elevators. Now, for those of you who may have farmers in the family, you probably don't have 9 million bushel grain elevators on the farm. This, oops, let me go back. This grain elevator is the length of three football fields. And if you look here, this is how we move grain into the gravity-fed portion of the elevator with our big tractors. So we move a lot of grain across the country. This is our barley research facility. We also have relationships in Brazil and New Zealand. It takes about 10 years to develop a new strain of barley. It starts here, and then we ship it around the world so that we can shorten the growing season cycle so we can accelerate how fast we develop different strains and um, as we determine different directions for our beers. These are what our regional sales offices look like. Again, the great part is we have a bar in almost all of them. 
And this is what our own property portfolio looks like. So out of the 20 million square feet of the portfolio, 19.1 million is owned. We have over 7,000 acres and uh, 261 different buildings on those sites. One of our biggest challenges that we're um, facing right now is I'm trying to build an own property database and I don't have site plans that give me building numbers to be able to track all the data related to each different piece building that's on a particular site. For example, the Golden Brewery, we own 10 miles of land in the Golden Valley that includes the brewery and the can and, and bottling plants. So it's a, it's a little different in terms of the data collection that we're challenged with, with managing. The thing that um, everybody really wanted me to talk about today was how we went about selecting our headquarters because it was such a key component of how we went about identifying our culture and determining the direction of the joint venture. Um, I just joined Miller Coors a year ago, January, so I was not here for the um, headquarters selection process, but um, am well in, informed in terms of what went on, so I'll share what happened. When we started the approach, the goal was that we wanted to be sure that we could attract and retain the right talent. And in our headquarters here, it's really about brand management, advertising talent. This is really where we define all of our different brands. So we were really looking for that kind of skill set. Um, we also wanted to be sure that it, it had the right statement to the organization. We didn't want to be in Milwaukee and we didn't want to be in Golden because this was an equal joint venture with partners coming together. So we wanted everybody to understand that this was a new day, we were having a new culture, and we wanted to move fast. So the JV was cre created um, July 1st, 2008. The search began in Mar May or June of 2008 and we moved in in June of 2009 which involved moving a lot of people from both Golden and Milwaukee to come in and be part of this. It was a very, very fast track process and it was carefully orchestrated both in terms of the competition among different cities for incentives, for space, et cetera, as well as in terms of the message we were delivering to our employees because this wasn't about trying to get rid of people, this was about bringing two historied companies together and trying to create a really, really great organization to go forward. Ultimately, we came down to Chicago. Actually, it came down to Dallas and Chicago, and Chicago was the winning city. Um, one of the big advantages of Chicago is the CPG, the consumer packaging goods uh, talent and the market-facing talent. You guys have probably seen in the news of late conversations about what's going on in the advertising world with ABI throwing its um, advertising op uh, business out to the marketplace. and and all of the things that influence that. And we, we work with a lot of different advertising agencies here in Chicago. And we wanted a beer city. I mean, if you make beer, you want to be in a city that loves beer. And uh, Chicago loves beer. So we looked at a lot of different areas um, in terms of the different possible locations and ultimately came down to this site. Um, I think most of you are probably familiar. We're at 250 South Wacker which is right across from the Willis Tower on that southwest corner. And it's actually worked out to be really, really well, we, uh, really good. We ended up with the 16th floor, which includes a large terrace, and that's where we have our bar. Um, Julie's probably the only facility manager you'll meet in the industry who has bartenders who work for her. She runs the bar. Our bar, our corporate bar, is open from 4 to 7, five days a week, and you can go up there and 
you as employees, we as employees can go up there, we can bring a few friends in, and we can taste all the different beers and talk about what's going on in the marketplace and, um, and end our day in a very enjoyable way. Um, it, we wanted it to be environmentally conscious, again, because of our sustainability history and our belief in preserving the planet, and so we do have a LEED uh, certified space, and the building is finishing up getting its LEED certification. We wanted, um, this is kind of funny, we wanted in-building conferencing facilities, and when you talk about growth, when we first came here, we expected to have floors 8 through 16, and that was going to take care of us for six years. We have subsequently taken four more floors, and the conferencing facilities that we uh, built aren't nearly big enough, and so Julie is just finishing up building out another floor. Everybody's moving in Friday night, and we're opening up another area where we can actually have a 200-person conference room so that we can have marketing meetings and distributor meetings and those types of things. So it's worked really well, but we underestimated how well it was going to work, and so we've continued to grow even after this in initial setup. Uh, we really liked the location. Uh, it's not uncommon if you get on the Amtrak to go up to Milwaukee to see a lot of Miller Coors people going both ways. When I go up for my, I actually report to engineering and packaging, which is probably another unique aspect of my job within supply chain. And it's not uncommon for us to grab a train and go up, you know, on the 6:30 train for meetings all day, and then be back here by four, and it works out beautifully. Particularly if if you've driven from Chicago to Milwaukee lately with all the construction, the train is much better. Um, and, and it's just really been a great success for us. The one constraint that we were concerned about when we took the building was that it is only 245,000 square feet. And while we put a 20-year plan into the agreement, which we're now, what, most of the way through, um, we did have some concerns about whether or not we would ultimately get to be too big for the building, but the location was just good, too good to pass up in terms of being able to get building signage for our brands, being able to have our bar close proximity to Amtrak, and for all the different commuters. The, uh, um, we'd like a retail presence. If we could have, we would have liked to have had a, you know, a, a public bar in the building, um, although we wouldn't be allowed to, to, to run it because of um, the whole three-tier and post-prohibition regulations, but that was just something we couldn't get. So here's what it looks like. This is our reception area. We actually have a delivery truck that was helicoptered into our reception area on the 15th floor. These are our corporate, where our corporate offices are. And of course, for us, branding is huge. So every floor is branded with one of the brand families. And one of the things we struggle with is, is as how we choose to brand and, and who we choose to partner with, whether it's the NFL or the NHL or whatever changes, then Julie is faced with having to update all the branding and, and deal with that from a practical standpoint. Um, this is our space. We chose to go with a very open environment. We have a few offices. Uh, there are about 11 offices on each floor. So relative to where both the Coors folks came from and the Golden folks came from, this was a much more, much fewer office, much more open workstation kind of environment, but it's worked out very well with, for us. And it's given us a lot of flexibility. We've employed technology in such a way that um, if I need to move, I put my stuff in a box, I put it on a little wheelie, I move to the next workstation, Julie has her IT people program a couple things, and I'm done. I mean, it can be a 10-minute move, depending on how many boxes you have. This is the bar. Right here is our bar, our bar. This is a staircase that goes from the executive floor up to the bar, which is reminiscent of walking through some of the breweries when you get into some of the, the brick spaces and that type of thing. 
So what do we think worked well and what do we think didn't? Um, the JV has been beautiful. The, the space has worked ideally. We've grown much faster than we expected, as I mentioned earlier, so we're dealing with that. We have um, actually never anticipated how much volume of traffic would go back and forth between Milwaukee and Chicago. It's been really, really great. And the other thing is, because a lot of our people travel a lot, um, having both Midway and O'Hare readily available, I mean, basically equidistance from the office, makes it really easy for everybody to travel on a national basis as well. Um, what didn't work well, the one uncontrollable, of course, that nobody could forecast was the downturn in the economy. And so um, we had originally set a deadline for everyone being transferred into Chicago by which they had to actually fit, formally relocate, which we ended up delaying because people could not sell their homes and could not you know, make the relocation the way they needed to. And that, of course, has only gotten worse over the last few years. The thing that has absolutely worked the best of all, which couldn't have been foreseen, is that, again, because of the economic downturn, the decision for the two companies to come together was really driven by the, the vision of uh, being able to consolidate supply chain and drive synergies. We took half a billion dollars worth of synergies out in the first 30 months of the JV. And having the economy turned down was act, just made us even more competitive than we would have been if we had tried to survive the economy on our own. So um, it turned out to be even better foresight than we had anticipated. There you go. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Lori Templeman, and I'm the director of corporate facilities for a company called Intelligrated. Um, many of you probably don't know who Intelligrated is or what we do, so I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview of, of what that is, and then talk about some of our challenges as a company. And we're a very young company. We just turned 10 years old this month, September 4th, so we've grown quite a bit in that time. Um, our mission is to fulfill the needs of our customers throughout the life of their material handling systems and to improve their operational efficiency and bottom line. So what does that really mean and what do we do? Well, we are the largest uh, single point contact material handling, handling uh, system provider in North America. Uh, what we bring to the table is you come to us or our clients come to us we sit down with you, we evaluate your needs, we look at the functionality, all your operations, and we put together a complete solution for you. Uh, we start with the design, we then engineer it, uh, we then manufacture it, and then we install it. After it's installed, we don't just walk away from you. Uh, we have customer support on-site afterwards to meet your needs to make sure all of the associates on-site are trained um, and that they are available we're available 24-7. So what you have to believe in the concept here is in your distribution centers, the average size of a distribution center is about a million square feet. In that million square feet, there is anywhere between five and seven miles of conveyor. It is totally automated, uh, you know, with everybody in, in the lean times. Uh, we keep, you know, the staffing as minimum as we can. And we want to provide throughput. We want to get your product in and out the door and into the customer's hands. Um, when we started the company, there were a couple values that uh, everything was going to be based on. Uh, and, and those things uh, carry through today. Um, 
Our experience, we wanted to only bring experienced people on the team. Uh, you had to have a passion for what we do. Uh, some of us believe we build uh, and save the world one conveyor at a time. Some of us don't. Um, you had to have integrity. Um, you had to be committed. Um, we were doing this with a small group of people to start, and we were living and breathing Intelligrated 24-7. Um, we had to come up with innovative products. Um, the material handling industry is kind of an old boy network. Um, I would say in our uh, workforce at Intelligrated, 80% of the population is male. And probably 90% of the people that we deal with at distribution centers are male. So um, we had to come up with new products that we could sell to an existing client base and improve and enhance it. And our product had to be dependable. It's got to last. Um, you, you can only do it right once. And if you don't, you don't get a second opportunity to do it again. Um, a little bit about our history and our legacy. As I said, we're just 10 years old. Um, we were founded in 2001, and there were 11 of us sitting at folding tables on the first day. Um, we had private equity funding, um, and we knew what we wanted to do right away. Um, we had all come from a previous company called the Bushman Company, which was another material handling company. Um, and we decided we're going to put a core group of people together and move forward. Right away, it became evident that we needed to have a corporate headquarters that was going to support what we wanted to do. Um, we knew what we wanted in the building, um, and we knew what we wanted it to look like. Uh, so we moved forward with that. So the first thing we did was very quickly uh, put together our criteria and see if there was anything out in the marketplace that would work for us. Well, there wasn't. We wanted a combination, a component of 50,000 square foot of office and another $100,000 uh, 100, square feet of, of manufacturing or demonstration uh, area. Um, that was nowhere to be found in the Cincinnati market. Um, we looked in Kentucky and Indiana, and we played all the uh, state incentive games like everybody else does, and we settled on Mason, Ohio. Uh, we worked closely. We interviewed several firms, and we found one that was committed to a design-build process that they knew the urgency of what we needed to do and how quickly we needed to do it. So in 2002, uh, we broke ground in December 2001, uh, September of 2002, we were in our new headquarters in Mason, Ohio. Um, we had established before we moved um, our management team. We did not want closed offices, um, similar to what Pat was saying. We wanted an open environment. Uh, we used 50-inch high panels. We standardized on null product. Um, we wanted people to collaborate. We didn't want people to hide behind walls. If you had a question, you wanted to review a drawing, don't send an email get off your tail and go talk to that other person. We wanted to become an instant team. Um, in the process of building the headquarters, uh, we also acquired a manufacturing company because we had to produce our product. So we bought a small company in London, Ohio, which is just uh, south of Columbus, Ohio. And we moved them out of an antiquated facility and into uh, a state-of-the-art 2,008-square-foot uh, facility with uh, over 100 dock doors, and uh, outfitted that building. Uh, we completed that in July of 2002. Uh, so to say that in 2002 I didn't see my family or my husband would be an accurate statement. Um, in 2003 to 2009, we continued to grow, and we began to open up our field offices, which are our sales offices. 
And what this meant for us is more exposure. We wanted our folks to be in the field, seeing customers, and we wanted them in key markets. So we have those field offices uh, that we st originally strategized for in Atlanta, Chicago, New Jersey, Texas, and Phoenix. And we're still growing at about 400. Uh, once again, we went with our corporate standard. When you walk into an Intelligrated office, no matter if it's in uh, Mason, Ohio, or here in Woodridge, Illinois, you're going to know you're in Intelligrated. We wanted to be branded in that way. Um, in 2009, we went and we acquired FKI. FKI Logistics is a British holding company. The ironic part of this story is uh, when we were the core team was with a company called Bushman, uh, we sold the company to FKI Logistics. <laughs> Can you tell us this is a little bittersweet for some of us? Um, so basically, we acquired FKI um, and brought them into the fold. Um, we had some real culture shock. Um, you have to understand, people, we had taken in the 400 people we have had on staff in 2009, we had taken the ones we really wanted from FKI, and the rest we really didn't want. And they knew that. And so it made it really, really difficult. It was a us and we thing, and they wouldn't admit that we purchased them. And it, 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 it's been kind of ugly. Um, the other thing was there was a big culture difference, and they hid behind the walls in the offices. And we didn't do that. And everybody dug deep and, and chimed in and did what they had to do to get a project done, whereas they had adopted an attitude of that's not the way it works for us. So for the last two years, literally, we have been going through a process of getting everybody on the same page and making everybody a team. And we're us. It's not we and them. Um, so that has really been a process in getting that going. Um, we have whittled down. We, we started out probably after the, with the acquisition of about 3,000 employees. Um, we're now down to about 1,900. We still are growing as a company. Um, our basic, uh, our basis, our, our engineering, our engineers total up about 75% of our team. Um, so it's huge. So if you're 30 to approximately 50 and you're an engineer, you work at Intelligrated in the Ohio area. So what we've done with the process of uh, acquiring FKI, we've had to renovate all of the FKI facilities. Uh, what the British Holding Company did was they took the money and did not spend it. They, from 1999, they did not touch their facilities. So um, I've been challenged with the fact that we had to come in, assess all the facilities, and come up with a plan to renovate those facilities based on priorities. Um, that was not an easy task in that uh, we're talking major roof damage, uh, security issues, uh, infrastructure, uh, you name it. It hadn't been taken care of. So we, we set those goals right away. Um, in the meantime, we were also working on a corporate housing plan. And in that corporate housing plan, it was how the organization is going to come together and where they're going to be. And of course, everybody wanted to be in the basin headquarters in Cincinnati because they wanted to be in front of the CEO and the president and be seen. And that's just not the way it works. And so we had to make some tough decisions. Some people weren't happy at first. Um, and it, it took a while to get everybody on the same page, but we did. Um, in renovating the FKI facilities, uh, we basically gutted them. Uh, we went from uh, having really nothing and not a good swing space, we had maybe 5,000 square feet of swing space, uh, to renovating in just portions to get it done to keep everybody operational and function because we had so many uh, 
uh, issues of when we were combining the products and, and our operating systems, they were on a man-man system, we were on Oracle. The two couldn't talk. So we had total other issues of bringing the two companies together and, and then we're trying to combine them all and house them all in, in the region too. So over the past year and a half, uh, we have renovated the facilities. We've relocated over 425 associates and uh, typically we take them down on, um, on a Friday at three o'clock. Um, we do not have a bar at our facility. I can't <laughs> offer you anything like that. And then they're up by five o'clock on, on Sunday. Uh, we've worked with a great team. We've been consistent with our contractors. Um, they've been loyal to us and we've been loyal to them. And we've got it down to a science, um, just like Pat was indicating um, of how it works. Um, the other thing that we're in the process of, we've been working with uh, Newmark Knight and Frank and IA. Um, we're consolidating our field offices. Where our field offices are, where there was an integrated field office, there was an FKI field office right across the street. So um, we are about 80% done uh, in that process. Uh, Newmark Knight has uh, combined incentives with all the programs we're working with, um, keeping us in the state of Ohio. Uh, we had incentives of just over $24 million to stay, and Newark Knight helped us with that. Additionally, um, in our current uh, scenario of what we're doing in our offices, uh, we're at about probably $2 million in savings because of their involvement, and we still got a little bit more to go. So currently, uh, we have an environment of 27 facilities, about a million and a half square feet uh, across the country. Um, we do have a history that goes back because it was the Bushman company before we sold it to FKI. So we have a legacy of being in the material handling industry uh, for since 1905. Uh, but now we're all one and um, we are the leader in everything we do. Um, these are just our locations. We are located throughout the US, like I said, Canada and Mexico. Um, we are seeing a huge uh, insurgence of work um, Walmart is one of our customers. We are doing massive amounts of work in Chile, Argentina. They're developing markets for all of us, I think. And so we have teams over there that are there three months and six months at a time, and then they send them home for a little bit and get them juiced up, and then they go right back. Um, this is our uh, headquarters in Mason. Um, it, was, it was a good project. Um, you know, we, we had financial constraints in that we did have the, the funding, but, you know, we were in this for the long run and we had a lot of product development to do. So the building was a tilt-up uh, construction building. Uh, we, had, we had to bring, we had to build a showroom in our facility. That's why we needed the additional 100,000 square feet. Um, in, the, in the showroom, what we do is we duplicate a mini uh, distribution center and have customers come in, they send their product into us in advance, then we demonstrate it on the test loop so they can see it. We had to do this because we didn't have any customer base install. We couldn't say, hey, we're gonna take you to Northrop Grumman or we're gonna take you to McGraw Hill and we can show you what our product can do. So we had a lot of interesting things. Um, it, it was successful, um, it took us nine months and uh, they promised and they delivered on time. So it was, it was a great, great opportunity. Um, we have manufacturing locations in uh, Kentucky, St. Louis, London, Ohio, which is Columbus, Ohio, and Westchester. That's where FKI was uh, headquartered. Um, and so it's great for the engineers, all the engineers, if they need to figure out what they're doing, they go back and forth uh, between the manufacturing plants. And we're all ISO certified. 
Um, these are just where our uh, field offices are located. As you can see, we're all across the country in strategic locations. Um, who are our customers? Our customers are everybody. Uh, you wouldn't know it, but um, when you see some of the names here, um, we even we do uh, cores, Miller cores. So I told Pat today we've done nine of her facilities. So um, we, we touch pretty much everybody. Um, Target being one of our biggest challenges, uh, and Walmart also. Um, you would think everything would be cookie cutter, but it's not. It's, it's a unique application every time we do it. Um, like I said, these are just some of our uh, customers. One of our other customers that I was very heavily involved with is Northrop Grumman and, and the United States Post Office. Um, we did over 400 sites for them, and the goal was to eliminate postal workers to cut their costs. And as you can see, um, we, because of the uh, postal union, they haven't been able to do that, and they haven't cut their cost. So uh, the, the plan was good, though. Um, these are just some of uh, some examples of different things we convey. Um, we do everything from uh, Ralph Lauren Polo uh, to Michael's. Uh, never thought I'd see a ficus tree on a conveyor line. I have. So we're all over the board. Um, lastly, you know, we're a young company. We're still growing. Um, we've got a lot going on for us, and we look forward to the future. Um, and. Uh, We've been handling the challenges one at a time as they come. Thank you. Thanks, Lori. Appreciate that. Wow, we have a real supply chain on the stage. Yeah. This is great. Um, obviously, we want to get to your questions. Uh, this, is, this is for you folks. We're here for you today. But uh, just a couple observations of what I think uh, I heard here on the stage, uh, I guess the theme is uh, we're in the trenches, and the trenches is their growth. Well, you know, I think maybe another word for growth here is value creation. Both of these ladies talked about value creation in their organizations, tackling tough problems, special projects, putting in an innovative approach, very customer-facing situations, they're thinking about the demand side. Um, so I, 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 it's excellent presentations, and uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of ahas and messages in there for us to look, uh, to look at and, and uh, learn from. Um, one thing I think relative to value creation that we all like to probably hear, a good uh, icebreaker, is what are you spending your time on? I think we got a little picture of that, but today and moving forward, to continue to improve your positions in your organization, add value, what are you spending your time on? What, what takes up your day? Let's start with Pat. Um, I'm really, I really am right now focused on strategy. Um, we have had some decline in beer volumes right now, but we're looking at every one of our breweries. And um, I've created an approach called a max cap site strategy program. So what we've done is we've stepped back and said, you saw how much land we have. So in a few cases, we have very site constrained breweries, such as in Irwindale, California, and in Fort Worth, Texas. But in other places, like in Elkton, Virginia, we have 1,700 acres. And so the question is, what should we keep or what should we do with it? And so we're going through brewery by brewery and saying, Let's look at it from a business standpoint, and what is the biggest we could ever envision the brewery would be? Not what are we planning on it right now, but what's the biggest it could ever be? And then let's develop a site strategy around that so that we don't ever give up something that would then, you know, 10 years from now, yeah, we got a nice little amount of money for the woods in the back of the mountain, but we're really sorry we gave it up. So, we're, so I'm working very closely with our, 
uh, national integrated supply chain people to look at whether or not we need inbound warehouses, what's our air warehousing capacity. There's a new person in the engineering and packaging team who's taken on responsibility for all of the national warehousing that we have. And all of our warehouses are co-located with our plants. So he and I are working really carefully and closely together to say, how would you expand? How would you automate? What would you do with it? And we're really trying to look at what all of those pieces might be, draw our boundaries, and then figure out what the strategy is for each of those. With our sales offices, the strategy is really you know, short-term leases, keeping ourselves as flexible as possible till we see where we want to be. We still have quite a few. Um, we had the same situation you did where everybody, you know, Miller and Coors were right across the street from each other or in the same town. And so we do have quite a few legacy subleases that um, actually JD's been helping us with over the last few years to, um, to let them burn off. So we're trying to sort of get rid of some of that old stuff that's redundant. And it's just going to take some time. I, what, what I, I hear in there also as another aha is what we, I think, all learned in the recession is you had to come together and put creative solutions on the table. You couldn't be silos. You had to work in an integrated fashion with other parts of your organization or team with other small boutiques. You all work for individual companies. You're always teaming with other people in this room, right? And I think that I also heard that in Telegrated, too. You really had kind of an integrated approach to putting solutions, right? I mean. Yes. Um we had to. There was no other way to get the work done had we let the silos exist. And, and uh, quite honestly, the people who wanted to stay in their silo are no longer with our organization. Yeah. It was identified very quickly. Are, are you on the team or not? So um, that's pretty accurate. Um, what I've been busy doing, and uh, I know there's some people in the room who can attest to this, is I've been putting out fires and running around <laughs> like crazy trying to get all the consolidation. I'm done, and, and that's taken up the majority of my time. I report directly to the CFO, so um, getting especially the sales and field offices consolidating, um, getting all the facilities up to look as professional as what our expectation of Intelligrated is and what it should be is a priority. Um, we're also looking at the long term. Uh, we are looking at expanding, and we're deciding how we're going to do that right now. We're working with the state of Ohio and the city of Mason uh, where we're lo located. Um, of what our opportunities are um, and with the cash flow situation. Um, and then we're looking at um, lead uh, ideas and forward uh, to our plants and upgrade of our plants. Uh, our, one, our plant in St. Louis is very antiquated. And, and so we're look, I'm looking at the total portfolio and we're going to try to you know, tackle the big ones first and then move down the line. Another theme I heard in that, maybe you heard it too, people drive success, right? They really do. And a lot of the considerations and the work you did really considered the talent base, retaining that talent, making sure the workplace embraced that, the open space, the workplace, new ways of doing things. I think that was another really important theme that just stuck out of there. I mean, labor's always been a huge issue in talent, but it's just getting more and more important because that drives innovation, product development, and allows you to have the right people uh, doing the right things. I think one of the things I'm struggling with the most prior to me taking this job neither of the legacy companies had ever had a director of real estate. They'd had people that did bits of, had bits of responsibilities of the portfolio, but nobody ever had responsibility for the entire portfolio. And so what's happening is now that people figure out who I am and what I do, you know, I, I get pulled in on every you know, Norfolk and Southern easement and siding issues and all different kinds of small things, which are important value add to the local breweries because they don't really have anyone that understands it. But relative to developing a site strategy, 
I'm having a really hard time keeping all of this flowing and, and prioritizing what I really ought to spend my time on because it adds value to the bottom line versus also being sure that I do the things that let my customers do their jobs. And um, Brian and I and Julie have spent a lot of time sort of rejiggering responsibilities and, and those guys have picked up a lot of things because you don't want to let it drop, but at the same time, you want to be sure that when you wake up at the end of the 30-day period or the quarter, you actually did something material. You just didn't finish five easements and you know, three subleases or whatever it might be. Well, and let's face it, everybody walks into their building at, at, in the morning and they assume they're going to have power, uh, their computer's going to come on, their trash was emptied the night before. They have no idea how that happens. It just, you know, there's these little elves that run around and do it, <laughs> and somebody's got to be in charge of them. And uh, so, yeah, and, and, and uh, you know, anybody who has a phone um, or a computer is my customer, and uh, managing uh, remote facilities is always a challenge. Uh, the other thing is with with the work that we're doing in the field offices, we are so busy with our core business of material handling, I don't have project managers in the field. So I end up having to run those projects in Emeryville, California, or I get on a plane tonight to go to Grand Rapids to do a building walkthrough tomorrow um, because our core business is getting our product out there. I'm gonna let you all ask some questions. We'll get the microphone ready for there, but one more comment. Is, you're all familiar with the concept of supply chain. That's all the supplier, supplier to the customer's customer, and you got to collaborate across the chain. In corporate real estate, I don't know, I go to Cornet. I've been to Cornet 15 years. It's always been very focused on real estate. Have they all talked about real estate being in isolation on this stage? I mean, look at all the components of the organization that they touch. That's the new role. CRE has its own component of supply chain. I don't know, maybe you have to rename the word CRE, I don't know. But I think this is very prevalent in the success of new companies and growth companies, small and medium enterprise firms, uh, special projects and large companies. I think that's a really important concept and you're all right in the middle of that, whether you're a small one or two person firm or we work for a large organization that services companies like these. So let's open it up for questions. Any, please, questions. Rachel Yeomans with Aztec Consulting. I'm curious about the challenges that you face with the relocation of your employees um, and how you dealt with that on a temporary basis and whether that provided both uh, negative and perhaps some positive outlooks on your strategy with um, employment uh, relations going forward, especially as was mentioned earlier in the program about mobile office space, et cetera. Um, in terms of the headquarters space, you know, one of the things, when I first took this job, I thought I'd be coming in and one of the things I'd be doing first was workplace. But when I got here, it was done. I mean, if you look at the fact that, that you know, 90% of our office workers work from home and they're, they are mobile all the time. So they come in and, and touch down in the regional stations or they touch down at distributors, but that was already in place. In terms of the relocation piece, it was a lot easier for the people moving from Milwaukee to Chicago than it was from the people from Golden to Chicago. So um, a lot was done to try to help people go through that process. That's why we did, you know, the, we opened in, in June of 2009 and everybody was supposed to be in Chicago by um, Labor Day of 2009. So that was extended. Uh, but then ultimately we had to say, if you're going to be part of the company, you've got to, you know, the folks that we've decided need to be co-located need to be co-located. And so, uh, in a way, I mean, it, it's kind of a sad thing to say, but in a way, the tough economy helped. Because people who may have said, I'm not leaving my mountains, 
may not have had choices. And so they came to Chicago, and I think they've come to love it, and we certainly hope we'll stay in the long term. So I think in, in many ways that downturn in the economy helped us to mobilize this, but it also hindered because a lot of those people are here renting homes. Some of them are sharing apartments with each other uh, because they still have kids in Milwaukee or whatever because they have not been able to sell their homes. And it's something we just continue to struggle with and, and try to tweak. In this environment, we want to have policies and practices and we want to know what we want to do, but the reality is when things don't work, I mean, Bob's right, it's all about your human capital. If you don't have your talent, you can't do any of your businesses. And so we're about trying to make things work for our talent. Now, the way we've designed Chicago is it's the executive headquarters and it's, as I mentioned, our commercial and our brand and our advertising talent. Uh, Golden remains our headquarters for what we call ISC, which is Integrated Supply Chain. So that's where our customer service uh, folks are still based. And then um, Milwaukee is our sort of intellectual capital. That's where engineering and packaging are. So my colleagues who design all the, all the packages, design the home draft, design the Vortex bottle, all of those folks are still based in Milwaukee. And so while we have a headquarters, we have headquarters for other functions in each place. And, and our thought was over time, those would rationalize themselves more. Uh, they have to a certain extent, but everybody's trying to be real patient and, and, and sit still and, and let folks sort of get to where they need to be. When we're hiring new people, we're bringing them in where we want them, but we're not necessarily forcing relocations, again, because, I mean, how many people do you have that have 50 years of brewing experience? Or how many people do you have that have designed some of the packages that have been designed and used by our products over the years? So, you, I mean, in the end, if you don't have the talent, everything else is irrelevant. Hi, Megan. Is this one? Megan Marshall, Jones Lang LaSalle. Um, Pat, may I come over for a beer? <laughs> no. And uh, Lori, when you went through your acquisition, you said the past couple of years have been a little tumultuous with blending the two cultures. Did you bring on a change management consultant to help you go through that and iron everything out, or have you been doing that in house? Uh, we did bring in a change management consultant, and we have been doing it both in house. Um, uh, in the industry, uh, it's more of walking the walk and talking the talk. Um, so bringing the consultant in, it wasn't as successful or easy um, as we thought it would be. Um, it, it was very tough, as I said, because we had brought over the talent that we had wanted originally from FKI. So people's feelings were really hurt. I mean, they were offended because they thought they were the brightest and best, too, and couldn't understand. Um, so it's an ongoing process. Um, our CEO, Chris Cole, is really uh, top-notch at, at bringing the team together and Jim McCarthy. And when you see their commitment and how they're committed to making this work, uh, I think the people who want to be positive and want to embrace it do. And the others, you know, some of them have left. And, it, it you know, it's, it's a bad time to be leaving. And some of them are just hanging on. But... It's an ongoing process, and we, quite frankly, are not there yet. Yeah, Gary Skoog, Hoffman Estates, Economic Development. What are your uh, expansion plans looking at the future? Uh, you know, I'm not just, you know, corporate, but um, satellite offices, specialty locations, that kind of thing. Uh, ours are minimal. I mean, we've really... 
Uh, Julie and I and Brian sat down, and when we saw that the expansion was going greater at 250 than we anticipated, we put together a three-year plan with the executive leadership team. We just went ahead and took the space we thought we'd need for the next three to five years. It's going to be built out, and then it's going to be about Julie sort of restacking and adjusting as needed. Uh, with regards to our uh, regional and um, specialty offices, they'll be what they are, but we don't anticipate adding any more. Um, the work from home's working really, really well for our distributed sales force, and they'll stay that way. Um, our growth looks very promising. Uh, I, I report to the CFO, um, and I can't get a three-year headcount projection. That's, that's how my life changes uh, on a three, six-month basis. So um, we will be expanding the corporate facilities. The field offices, I think we're going to be pretty uh, set for right now. We are expanding into other parts of the world, as I said, with the growth in South America and some other things that we're looking at in Asia. Um, I expect us to expand into those areas. More questions? Thank you to our speakers. Uh, can we have a round of applause? Please remember to fill out your surveys. We do look at what you write on these to help us plan future programs. Thank you.